Well, today I'm so uh, excited to start a summer series with you. We're starting a new series called Love Is, and we're going to be talking about uh, what love is. If you were to put love under a microscope and you were to break it down and slice the atomic molecules that make up love, what would they be? Uh, all of us get our first concept of love from our family, from our home, good or bad. For some people, that's a great thing. And for other people, it's really a difficult thing. So whatever, whatever that means to you, it'll tend to be your default setting, your default definition, un unless it's challenged or strengthened. Whatever, whatever that emotional definition, that those, the pictures that were set in your mind, the voices, the smells, the taste that were set in your mind, of what love is in your family will stay the same, thank you, will stay the same until they are challenged or strengthened. I guess depending on who you ask, you could get a different definition of what love is. It seems like we use the word too loosely uh, in our culture. And we only have one word for love, so we describe all kinds of love. A teenager may say to his girlfriend, I love you, but only mean I'll tell you what you want if you do what I want. A thrill seeker may say, I love parasailing, but only mean it makes me feel good like a drug when I'm doing it, I forget all my problems. A parent may say to a teenager, I love you when you obey me, but when you don't obey me and cause trouble, I reject you. Any one of us on the right day may say, I love chocolate. Come on. Different stages of love have been traced in the marriage relationship. If you've been married like zero to two years, that stage of married love is called young love, innocent love, naive love. How many of you do you have folks this morning, you've been married zero to two years? Are you kind of, if you're here, yes, 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 great. You don't have a clue. <laughs> you know why everybody's laughing? Because they got the clue. <laughs> That's that naive love. Then you move into the second stage, which is three to ten years. You've been married three to ten years. This phase is called realistic love. It's the most dangerous. This is when all of a sudden you wake up one day and you go, this is not what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> Uh, naive love is gone. Naive is no more. And you say, I, I didn't think it would be like this. This is the most dangerous uh, time of marriage. More divorces happen in this stage than all other stages combined. Did you get that? Three to ten years. Then the next stage is 11 to 25 years. My wife and I are in that this uh, next month, we're going to celebrate our 20th uh, anniversary. And we're in that phase of 11 to 20. First, how many of you are in 3 to 10? I forgot. Let me get that group. 3 to 10. There you go. L look at them. They look tired. Realistic. <laughs> Bless you. Hang in there. 11 to 25 is called comfortable love. This is kind of strange, but somebody once described it like oatmeal. 
You don't even know why, and you're already laughing. A woman describing it like this said, it's, not, it's like oatmeal, it's not very exciting, but it's comfortable, warm, and satisfying. Comfortable love. Let me just let that set in for a minute. How many of you are in that phase? That's where I'm at. How many of you are there? Yeah? Yeah. It's hard to get you to move. You're just sort of comfortable. Then there's 26 to 35 years. That's called renewing love. That's where the marriage has out, uh, uh, overcome some changes and transitions. Most of the time in that phase, the empty nest transition has been made. And the couples begin to move forward in a new identity. And, and it's re- called renewing love because the love renews for the second half. How many, of you are, how many of you are in that phase right there? Woo! Oh, yeah. See, they're like empty nests. Praise God. After the grieving is over, the joy comes. <laughs> and the bills lighten. All right, 35 years and up, this is called transcendent love and for people who've made it that far they say it's the best part of marriage because it's the time that true oneness that Jesus talked about has been achieved now how many of you are in that phase of marriage right there 35 and come on oh whoa hey look at there huh I want everybody who's a newlywed to listen to that war hoop You thought that came in the newlywed years. That's what you see on TV. That's junk. That was a real scream. Hang on. Stay married. You'll never never find that if you give up too early. That's a good testimony, isn't it? How many, I wonder who in this room has been married the longest, though. Let's say, let's start at 40 years of marriage. Everybody lift your hand if you've. 40 years or more. All right? 45. All right? Who else? Okay. 46. 47. 48. 49. Here? Here? Their arms are getting tired. 50. Because they've been married a long time. 51, 55, 56, 58, we got a runoff here, 57, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 60, 61, 62, 63, sold, 64, 65, 70, 65, 66, 64, anybody be 64, wait, wait, anybody be 64? Anybody? Would you guys stand for a minute? Would you give these guys a big hand? 64 years. Woo! There you go. Bless you guys. (laughs) 64 years of marriage. Man, they've hit transcendent love twice. (laughs) That's when it really gets good. Well, this summer we're going to be doing a study from the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 
We're going to be talking about what love is. If you can hear all these messages through the right background, these books are absolutely going to come alive to you. I encourage you, take 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. If you If you're on a devotional path or you can set it aside for the summer and jump into these books, man, get get as deep into these books with us as you can get. Uh, We're going to go much deeper in these books than we do normally when we we do topical studies. But if you can understand the background of these books, I'm going to set that stage today. This whole series is just going to come alive for you. John wrote the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He was a fisherman who probably met Jesus through John the Baptist's ministry. He was one of the twelve disciples, and he traveled with Jesus during his ministry. After Jesus' death, he worked with the apostle Peter as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Now, John's Christian life and ministry caused such uh, chaos and turmoil, that I mean that in a good way, and for the kingdom, that the Roman authorities banished him to a small, desolate island called Patmos. If you can put, okay, here's the map. Okay, wait, yes, right here. Okay, back, 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 back up one. Yeah, good, okay. Right here is the island he went to. Yeah, there's a cold front coming in from this side. <laughs> Here's the island that he went through. Down over on this side, if you could see it, he spent his years in Jerusalem over here helping the apostle Peter pastor the church in Jerusalem. The Roman authorities, uh, because of his influence, took him and banished him all the way over here to this little prison island called Patmos. Now leave it up there, called Patmos. That was the island that he was on. On that island, he received one of the greatest revelations that any human has ever received from God. He wrote it down. We still have it. It's called the book of Revelations. And it's the last book in the New Testament. Uh, Most people believe, they don't know when... But most people believe that John went from Patmos. If you could see, uh, this is a modern map. If you could see an uh, an ancient map, you would see that up in this region here is Ephesus. Yeah, is that it? Great. Then then he went from the island out here to Ephesus and spent the rest of his life, most people believe, there. From Ephesus, he wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so if you can kind of picture that as we're talking about this, it'll help. John writes these letters later in his life, and at this point he's like a, he's been in prison. He's been a pastor of the uh, helping with the uh, Jerusalem church, and and now you have this reflective, wise, loving father who writes. He writes because of his love for the people that he was. We're going to read the letter, and he wrote about love. He wrote because of his love for them, and he wrote about love. The word love appears thirty-five times in the book of First John alone. In this book, he tells them what love is, what not to love, how to love, who to love. And his concern in this whole letter is that their love for God and for each other was being threatened. They were being tempted to love the wrong things and to misunderstand what love is. Now, John was prompted to write this letter because there were people from inside the church that split the church. They caused division. And uh, what happened is John was writing to warn the church that these people who have now left were trying to influence people in the church to believe some things that were harmful to their faith. The people who left thought that they had special insight from God. Now, boy, I've run into these folks. Special insight from God that nobody else has. Boy, if this church would just get on fire, if this church would 
pray the way I do, or if this church saw God the way that I saw, or if this church had the insight into Scripture that I had. And so that's the attitude of the people that left. They thought they had received a special revelation from God that nobody else had, and they were running a rescue operation back into the church to save the church from, from itself. So John writes now in the middle of this turmoil to steady this confused and wounded church. This is sort of like a case of relationships gone bad. I mean, what do you do when there are Christians in your life that you have to be careful with? What do you do when two group, groups of sincere Christians disagree and work against each other? It takes real wisdom. And there's no pain in life like church pain. When the body of Jesus does damage, it's very confusing. When leaders fail and when churches split and when believers divide and when people are used by others for their own power agenda and personal gain. When wounds are inflicted by Jesus' body, it's like the pain of divorce. Oftentimes people spend years trying to heal. When churches hurt people, it causes confusion and it challenges people's faith and it makes it even complicated to believe in God. You, look, you, can, you can hear it in the reasons people give for why they don't go to church. Almost every reason, if you invite someone to church, they say, no, I don't go to church. If they've already got a prefabricated reason, it can almost always be traced back to, I was hurt. Almost always. Uh, listen to some of the uh, examples that you hear. Well, I would go to church, but they're all hypocrites. Really? Who hurt you? See, that's what that's about. Somebody didn't live up to what you thought they should be, and you got hurt and confused, and now you backed out. Uh, if I want to feel judged, I'll go hang out with my in-laws. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have to invite that into my life. What is that telling you? This person has been harshly criticized somewhere in a church, right? I'm skeptical of organized religion. Why? Because you've seen the church organized in a way that was wrong, and you've become wounded by that. It's too complicated, I'll just watch church on TV or the internet. Why? I'm backing up to protect myself. You'd be amazed the stories that I've heard from people. The people who in the last four years, the people in one year, in 12 months time, I prayed with four pastor's wives who had been abandoned by their husbands who were pastors, either through an affair or some other thing, and had slipped into this church to try to heal, and I prayed with, they didn't even know each other. Over 12 months, the first 18 months I was here, in a 12-month slot, I prayed for four pastor's wives from this community, this county, who had been wounded and were trying to work out with their teenage children, their little children, where's daddy and why isn't daddy home and why don't we go to that church anymore, and all of that. And I'm telling you, those wounds are deep, and they take a long, long time to heal. If I could remember all the times someone has said to me, my dad was a pastor, or my parents were in ministry, or my church split, or someone abused me in church, or someone rejected me, or a Sunday school teacher, or a youth pastor, or a pastor, or a deacon, or, or how many pastor's kids that I know who absolutely hate the church because of the way their parents were treated by somebody in the church. 
and, and the, the harm and the damage, if I could count the number of broken souls who've come hobbling in and said, this is my story. Those wounds are so personal and they're so powerful and they leave, la- listen to this, they leave lasting impressions in our mind about God. And that is where the problem comes in. But we, ha- we have to heal Why must we heal? Now look, if you want to take a few notes, write this down this morning. We have to heal, and here's why. Because I don't know anyone who has a church wound who sees God right. I want to say that again. I don't know anyone who has a church wound who sees God right. Because we all see God through the lens of the church. Just like when we're little, we see God through the lens of our Father. And it takes a while to clear that up if it has been inaccurately portrayed somewhere. It takes time. So if you have a church wound, a relationship wound, this, what I'm going to give you in the next few minutes will apply anywhere. It could be a relationship wound, a marriage wound, where trust has been broken, But I'm going to specifically apply it since our context is 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John wrote into a church that was throbbing in divisionary pain and confusion about faith. And I want to just echo this morning the counsel that John gave to that church. Number one, what do you do when you have a wound or have had a church wound. Start, here's number one, start with Jesus. Now look, 1 John 2, 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies, this is John writing from Ephesus, it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. That's just one verse I could have picked many where John continually took that church back to the person of Jesus. I know that that's true. I know that this happened. These people are teaching this about Christ and it's not true. That's a misrepresentation. But no, 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 no. But for our purposes this morning, let's simplify it here. Start with Jesus. When John saw that confusion and division set in on people that he loved, he wrote to them about love. And in his conversation, you can hear him say, let's talk about what it means to love God. Let's talk about what love is. To get an accurate read on the truth about what love for God really is, where does John begin? He starts with Jesus. In other words, all right definitions in life begin with Jesus. Whether it's love or sin or truth or life or death or forgiveness or relationship, let me say it this way, reality starts with Jesus. I remember when I was a little kid, I would concoct these theories about how things worked uh, in life, and then I would spring them on my parents because I saw my parents as a standard of reality. I knew I'd bounce it off them to see if it was you know, right or not. So you know, I would work these things over my mind at least three or four seconds. And then I would blow them out there, you know, deep developed theories, scientific theories. And I remember telling my dad one time, hey, I know what a four-wheel drive is. Little, little kid. 
What's four-wheel drive? A four-wheel drive is a car that has four wheels. He said, no, all cars have four wheels. So how does a two-wheel drive drive? How, do, how does it drive with the other? I said, I don't know, let me think about that some more. I remember, I remember telling my parents, I don't know, somebody told me this. I don't know why, probably my sister, she tortured me. She told me this. And I can remember saying, hey, did you know that a Corvette is so fast that it can be going along beside another car? They're both going 60 miles an hour on the speedometer, but the Corvette's so fast, it'll be winning. It'll be faster than the other one. That's how fast it is. The speedometer's inaccurate, it's so fast. I remember my dad saying, no, it isn't. No, 60-60, whether it's a space shuttle or a tricycle, 60-60. Come on, son, wake up! And, and what you have here is this older, wiser father writing to his children in the Lord, and he's saying to them, this is what is real. This is what is true. Real love starts with Jesus. It starts with the person of Jesus, Jesus' example, Jesus' teaching. If you are wrong here, you will eventually be wrong somewhere else and most likely a lot of other places. The church and God are inseparable. And that's what makes church wounds so complicated. Jesus is the head and the church is the body. If you only have Jesus, you've heard people, I, I don't need to go to church to go to heaven. You're right. You don't. You just need the church to become everything God wants you to be. That's all. Just a little matter of that. You'll never fulfill your potential. You'll never fulfill God's will. You'll never fulfill his plan for your life without the church. Why? Because he connected the head of the body to the body. And he's not going to disconnect it for you. Jesus is the head and the church is the body. And if you only have Jesus, you have the head with no body. You've got no expression. If you only have the body, you have a headless entity that has no direction, that is confused, and in the end has no voice. God made it that way. I've seen people try to do Christianity without Jesus. I've seen people try to do Christianity without the church. And neither one of them ever works. And they almost always try that approach because they've been wounded somewhere and they're trying to work out their wound and they don't know how to work it out. The connection's also true when a church wound happens. If a Christian leader, a church group hurts you, you will oddly, I guarantee you, if you've ever had a church wound, you oddly found yourself questioning your relationship with God. If this isn't true, I wonder if this is true. If this isn't what I thought it was, I wonder if this is what I thought it was. And it shakes your faith. And you oddly find yourself distancing yourself, not just from the church, the body, you find yourself distancing yourself from the head, from God, or at least numbing out for a while. And this is the greatest tragedy in church wound is that it has an impact on your relationship with God. I can remember when a, a, a group that I was a part of at Southeastern, we were in college, we were going to go witnessing at this uh, really, really, really heavy, you know, concert. These guys were anti-Christian in every gross way you can imagine, 
and displayed that publicly. We were going to go witness this concert. So we prayed and fasted and got all ready. And I can remember uh, everybody was getting kicked off the campus. And we were driving out trying to hide from the people, kicking them off. Because we wanted to keep witnessing, you know. So we drove out. And there, we drive out there. And we're sitting in the parking lot hiding. And there's this big old group of, you know, drunk, drugged up young people that come over to this car beside us. And they're, eh, and all this, you know. And then they've gotten word that all these people are out here witnessing. And they just start, oh, bleep, bleep, bleep this, and these bleeping Christians, and these bleep, and they Bible-thumping, bleep, 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 killing it, killing it, killing it. And my friend looks at me, and he goes, we're on. I said, you're crazy. <laughs> so we're on. So we got out of the car, we walk over there, and we just, we just stopped and prayed, God, give us wisdom, help us. We got out of the car, went over there. And they're giving all this bad, blah, 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 blah. And my friend goes, you know what, that's right. You know you're right. You're exactly right. That's true. He goes, you know what, but Jesus never did any of that. And I thought, they're going to hit us. <laughs> and they stopped, and all the laughing and all the cursing stopped, and they went as sober and flat as a wall, and they said, you know what, you're right. Jesus never acted that way. Start with the person Jesus. That's what John did. Here's the second one. The second one is check the life of the wounder. Who, who did the wound? Who caused the wound? 1 John 1, 5 and 6, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Sometimes a church wound has been caused by an outright fake, an outright phony, a wolf in sheep's clothing. What, and what you have to ask yourself with the person that has caused the wound, what is the person really like who caused the wound? Do they follow Christ? Do they believe in right and wrong? How do they treat other people? What is, what is their own personal sin level? What is their own character? What is their own morality? What is their own walk like? The person that wounds you, you've got to ask that. In, in 1 John, in that case, he was saying, these people have left the faith. They're not even in the faith anymore because what they believe about Jesus is so wrong, they're going to destroy you. Don't listen to them. In most of the cases that you will encounter, it won't be that dramatic. Sometimes that's the case. However, I think more often than not in our culture, a church wound is maybe not caused by a person that's a fake or a phony, but it's caused by a person who may be genuine, but listen to this, but may be wounded themselves. May be wounded themselves. Ted Haggard, who pastored at New Life in Colorado Springs, when that whole thing went down, maybe you didn't even catch the story, he, he uh, had some drug issues and some sexuality issues, and uh, he, he was just acting in ways that were completely inappropriate and uh, ended up uh, coming out of the ministry, uh, separated from the church, and went into a time of restoration. And, and then I, I don't even think necessarily followed through with all of that. But here was, the, here was the statement that captured me through the whole thing. When he started to look inside, now listen to this very carefully, because some of you are sitting here this morning saying, this doesn't apply to me, I've been in church all my life or whatever. Ted Haggard was the pastor of one of the largest churches in the country. Ted Haggard was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals. And because he had a wound that had never healed, 
he became a wounder. I believe in my heart his faith was genuine. I believe he genuinely loved God. I believe he had a real faith with God. That's my belief. You don't have to believe that. It's not in the Bible. Uh, and God doesn't give us the right to judge. I, mean, I guess we're going to judge. We might as well judge in the benefit of the doubt, right? But here's the statement that got me. He said, when I was in second grade, one of my dad's employees abused me. He sexually abused me. And I never connected that event to what I'm going through now. But as I've separated and gotten with some counselors and some people who could help me, I now see that I never recovered from that. You see? So sometimes a wound doesn't come through a person that's insincere or ingenuine or, or, or isn't even trying to live a Christian life. Sometimes a wound comes through a wounder, a, a person who's wounded. So what do you do? You and I have to heal. We have to heal. Jim Baker, if you don't know the reference, I don't, I don't have time to give you the history, but Jim Baker, who ran one of the largest ministries in the country, when he finally hit bottom, he said, and I'm quoting, God sent me to prison because he loves me. I've said to you this morning, we must heal because no one with a church wound sees God right. And Jim Baker says, I didn't see God right, and God sent me to prison because he loves me, and now I see God right. I had to go to prison to see God right. John had to go to Patmos. But I see God right. And that's, that's the big deal. And if you don't heal, the day will come when you will wound somebody else. The most dangerous person in the kingdom is the person with a wound that will not heal. The most dangerous person outside the church is a sheep in wolves' clothes, an imposter who misleads people. But damage is done. All right, here's the last one, and I'll ask the worship team to come. We're wrapping up. Find new confidence in your relationship with God. Start with Jesus, check the life of the wounder, and then find new confidence in your relationship with God. John wrote this, this reflective, grandfatherly man who loved this church. He wrote about love to them. He wrote because of love. And when he kind of circled the wagons at the end of 1 John, he says to them, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know so that you may know, so that you may have assurance, so that you may have safety, so that you may have confidence. Don't let this wound, don't let this confusion, don't let this pain, don't let this frustration distract you. I write this to you that you might know that you have eternal life, that you're good with God. I don't know why, I don't know why, but it always happens. The wounded person gets disoriented in their relationships and begins to have doubts. I don't know why it's true. It's part of the human experience. But man, John, John looking back as this wise grandfather, he knows it and he says, I want you to know 
Don't you think because this happened, don't you think because this person did that or said that or caused this or caused it, don't you think for a minute because of that that you're not right or can't be right with God? You be, I'm writing to those who believe in the Son of God. And I want you to have confidence. There's life after a church wound. There's life after a relationship wound. There's a way in Christ you can know you have eternal life, that you're safe, that you're grounded, you're on the right path, you're going the right way, and that you're good with God. Thank God. When I was in high school, those of you who know my story, uh, my dad has never been a Christian and still is not. And when I was in high school, uh, I had come to the point where I realized I needed a role model and he couldn't be it in many ways because he had no spiritual life. And so I had a, a basketball coach that had an, I, I, could, I can't describe for you the impact that he had on my life. My early formation as a Christian, he impacted me more than any other single individual. And he was my basketball coach and I worked in the summer at the school and I worked with him and I wanted to be around him all the time and I wanted to be like him. He was an athlete and he was a he could sing and he was a great leader and he was he was an assertive, you know, he got things done. He was I just really really looked up to him probably too much. And there came a point my junior year in high school where things went bad and he went way south. And things got ugly in our little church and our little school. And he was fired and he went and confusion set in. And he said, she said, and who did this and who did that? And whose fault is it? And who's to blame? And why are all the good things not happening anymore? And now the school's shrinking and the church is shrinking. And by the way, that church and school are both closed today. I'm not saying it's a direct result of that. It was years later. But who, I know this, it never rose to that level again because of division. And, and there came a point in my life, it was very confusing for me. My hero, my role model was gone. And I wasn't, it wasn't appropriate for me to have communication with him anymore. And I can remember going through this turmoil gut check having to say, is this God thing really for me or did I just need a hero? Was, is my relationship, what is my relationship with God going to be like now? I mean, now that I'm alone. And the school started to turn. And a lot of the kids that were caught up in the momentum of it kind of walked away. And there were very few kind of solid Christian teenagers left. And I was, and I was stuck going, which side am I going to be on? And, and it, was, it was a time of identity crisis for me. It was a gut check. And I had to decide, were the things that happened in my life real or did that just fill a need in my life that I had and I just needed it, needed somebody to look up to? Because I can't look up to this guy anymore. And I was alone. And here's what I had to understand. I had to separate the wound from the church. I had to separate the wound from God. And I had to realize I've got a relationship with God whether I'm wounded or not. And that relationship is good. And the things that happen are true. And the calling that God put on my life is still here. And hey, thank God I'm here this morning. I made it. And I'm not mad. 
and I'm not bitter and I love you and I pray to God I don't hurt anybody but I'm just saying to you today this room listen is filled with little wounds and little cuts that have come along the way and I'm just saying if Ted Haggard could jump from second grade to 50 years old in Colorado Springs and carry that with him all those years I bet you there's some things that have floated underground in here for a while and I'm so grateful today that we're part of a church that has no division and this is a safe place and just like we came and prayed for this missionary and his wife this morning who are hurting even in the mission they're on we can pray for you today and this is a safe place stand with me prayer team come now it's time to pray here's what I want you to simply do look this isn't this isn't hey I gotta pour my gut out Sunday okay you don't have to do anything this is a safe place this is a safe spot this is a safe moment but what I'm going to ask you to do today is I'm going to ask you if you've got a relationship wound or a church wound, man, this church wants to be an agent of healing. Don't we? Isn't that right? I look at some of the faces down here, and man, some of you have been through all kind of crazy stuff in the church, but you came here to pray with other people. You must have healed. And aren't you, aren't you happier? Thank God. I'll give you a message of hope today. You're not stuck where you are. God loves you. Every eye closed in the building. You say today, there's a, there's a wound, there's a hurt, there's a pain. Somebody in my family, somebody in a church somewhere misrepresented Christianity or God to me. And it's just caused some issues. Look, you don't have to tell anybody who. You don't have to tell anybody what. You can if you want to. This is a safe group up here that will pray with you. You don't have to. You can just come and say, I just need prayer. I need, I need you to pray with me. God's going to help me. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me today? That's me today? Yeah, I know it. I see your hand. Come on. Come on, come on. This is say, hey, what, look. Nobody in this church knows the name of the four pastor's wives that came and talked to me. Nobody knows it. Not one staff member knows the name of those people. Nobody. This is a safe place. Nobody's going to hurt you. One more time. Lift your hand up and say, I'm struggling today with a relationship wound, a church wound, somebody misrepresented. Lift it up this morning. I see them. Come on. I see them. I see them. I see them. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I want you to go ahead and come. Lord Jesus, this morning, come on now. Lord Jesus, today, we give you this moment, and we pray that you would fill us with your healing power, you would fill us with your grace, you would fill us with peace, that you would help us to separate what someone may have intentionally or unintentionally done, separate and forgive, separate from you. You never caused it. You never did it. It just happened. And so, Lord, today we bring our pain, we bring our wound to you, and I pray today that you would heal. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would heal. You are Jehovah Rapha. You are God our healer. You heal our body. You heal our mind. You heal our spirit. You heal us in every way. And we look to you this morning. Jesus mighty name as the worship team sings this song I'm gonna ask you to come on now and let's just have a time of prayer and then we'll go